Welcome to the Investment Cuddle. Episode 25. I'm Gary and I'm here with... Philip, but not Keith. No splash. <laughs> I was waiting for Gary to say, and, and, and Keith. And, and, and Keith. <laughs> and on the podcast today, we're going to look at investment fund names and what they mean. So we'll focus on open-ended investment trusts because there's lots of different versions of those. So, Philip, this is surely a nice, easy one, just looking at abbreviations and different types of funds that you can buy. It's pretty straightforward, right? Well, never underestimate the financial services industry and making what is a very simple context extremely difficult with lots and lots of jargon, abbreviations um, to confuse you. I used to think it was really easy in the past. I bought, in hindsight, the right fund, but the wrong type of the right fund, and realized I was paying more than I should have been for it. All because I didn't understand what the abbreviations at the back end of, after the name of the fund actually meant. So what we're going to try and do today is tell you what they mean, tell you what the differences between them all mean, and hopefully sum up and give you some idea of maybe which ones are best for which types of investor. Because there are all these different types are targeted at different types of investor. But as I once pointed out, I've made a mistake in the past of buying the more expensive version of the same fund. So hopefully you can learn from my mistakes and past mistakes. Okay, but surely if you're buying a fund, and we're going to focus on the the OICs here, the um, open-ended investment companies, the fund that you buy is, it's kind of in the title, isn't it? Well, yes and no. If we just start off with the title itself, most funds, but not all, the title does give you a pretty good idea of what it is you're buying. Take a few examples. Um, you've got Lindsay Train. They have a UK equity fund. Now, as you can be pretty certain of what's in that, it's basically got UK shares. And you can check that by looking at their fact sheet and you'll find out what's in it. Another one is like Bailey Gifford's America Fund. Surprise, surprise, that's full of American company shares. Lion Trust UK Growth Fund. Surprise, surprise, that's full of UK small company funds that are growing. And Marlborough's UK Microcap Growth Fund. Surprise, surprise, that's full of really small listed UK companies who are growing. However, as I'm sure everyone can remember, Mr. Woodford and the Woodford Income Fund you don't always get exactly what it says on the tin. So you've still got to be careful and read what it is. So other ones that you can buy, thinking of a few, another few examples, Royal London do a UK government bond fund. Now, as the name implies, you invest, that invests in UK government bonds and gilts. You've got AXA Global Strategies Bond. That's a global government and corporate bond fund. Then you've got, say, Lindsay Trains UK Equity Fund. Another one, which is, that's their UK chairs artemis global income fund they're basically global companies that pay dividends so most of them you can get a reasonably good idea of what you're investing from the name however then you have these things called like special situations such as m&g's uh, recovery fund or blackrock's uk special situations fund and you could turn out and say what does that mean what that really means is those that have got recovery in the name or special situations, 
they're more like shares that the market is generally they've gone through a bad time. The fund manager believes that they're going to they're actually undervalued and they're going to go up. So hence why they're saying recovery or special situations. What you're not getting there is the top blue chip company. But you can also get lots of weird and wonderful names which don't mean anything and you just have to look on the fact sheet as to what they are. Okay, so taking us through quite a few funds there. And yeah, for me, you'd be expecting that that, the clue is in the title. You've bought your equity fund for the UK or your small cap, micro cap, micro cap growth funds. But we know that there's often more than one variant of that. If you, so if you go back to what we've looked at in the past on the on the podcast is you might have, you said about Lindsay Train, you know, Lindsay Train's got a open-ended investment company, but there's an investment trust version of that. So, you, you know, for me, I'm sitting there going, right, I've got two different types of fund to invest in. What the difficulty is, I think is you're saying there's within just the open-ended investment company, there are multiple options of the same fund? Yes. So that's just the name of the title. And what you often see is you then got this like plethora of letters abbreviation that come after the name, such as Inc, ACC, Hedge, GB, USD, EUR, DIS, Class I, Class A, Class C, Class Z, Class T. And you go, what, what's all that mean? Possibly the best example I can give is just taking one particular fund, Artemis Global Income Fund. Now this... There are at least six different versions of exactly the same fund. You have a class I type, a class C type, and a class R type. And within each of those classes, you have an distribution unit or an accumulation unit. So you end up with six. Yet on the surface, it's the same fund. And there's some quite major differences between each one of those, which is not always immediately obvious. So, for example, let's start with what's these class, these share classes or unit classes. Taking Artemis Global Income Fund as an example, and if you were to get all their fact sheets and put them in front of you, Artemis at least put their annual management fee in the top right-hand corner. So it makes it quite obvious. And when you look at them all, you'll find that the annual management fee for the class I shares or units are cheaper than the class C units. And the C units are still cheaper than the class R units. For example, the class I units are 0.87% annual management fee. The class C units are 1.32% annual annual management fee. And the class R units are 1.62% annual management fee. So that alone, if you pick the wrong class by mistake, you could be paying quite a bit more almost like 70% more in annual management fees. Controlling your fee costs is one one of the best ways of getting the best return on your investment. Yeah, so, I, so I'll just say I'm going to buy the class the class I units then for the for that Artemis fund, right? Because that's the lowest fee. I, I'm turning around saying, let's say the fund is holding. We're not talking about different holdings, are we, within that fund? Oh, no, the, you get exactly the same holdings for exactly the same percentage weight distribution for each of the underlying shares of the companies they own in it. It's probably worth me explaining where these funds came from and why you've got these different classes and what they usually historically were aimed at. Now, unit trusts have been around in the UK since about the 30s. 
possibly the 1920s. So they've been around a long, long time. Historically, the fund manager targeted two groups of customers, retail public and institutional investors, such as pension company pension funds. Now, as you can probably guess, company pension funds tend to invest large chunks of money in one go and therefore can negotiate far better fees. Retail customers like you and me, historically, if you went directly to the fund manager, couldn't get those sort of economies of scale because we're not we're investing relatively small lumps of money. So historically, class I shares or class I units signifies that those ones were usually targeted at institutional investors because they had the lower annual management fee, but the minimum investment amount tended to be in the millions. R-class shares or R-class units usually signifies that they were targeted at retail investors because they usually have much, much smaller minimum investment sizes, but it had a much higher annual management fee. And there used to be various different other classes in between because they had charged different uh, fees to different, shall we say, stockbrokers. If I take two examples, Fundsmith and Blue Whale, if you go to their website or even on their um, fact sheets, they have a little table that tells you the breakdown of what's the fee of the different class of shares and also the minimum investment if you were go directly to Fundsmith or directly to Blue Whale invested. So Fundsmith, for example, their I-class shares, they will their annual management fee is 0.96%, but their minimum investment is £5 million. Their R-class shares have an annual management fee of 1.56%, but their minimum investment is £1,000. If I look at Blue Whale's funds, their I-class shares have an annual management fee of 0.87%, but their minimum investment is £10 million. Their R-class shares have an annual management fee of 1.12, and their minimum investment is £1,000. Now, what those minimum investment sizes is, is if you go directly to that fund manager and buy the shares directly from them. Nowadays, we have much better opportunities because we can use execution-only online stockbrokers. Because they have so many customers and deal so frequently with these fund managers, you almost certainly get from them the opportunity to buy I-class institutional shares without having to you personally pay £5 million minimum size. So these execution online stockbrokers, we're talking of the likes of Hargreaves Lansdowne, Charles Stanley Direct, AJ Bell, Uvest, iWeb, to name a few. Because they're so big, they have so many customers, they can go directly to Fundsmith and say, well, I'm going to aggregate all of my customers who want to buy Fundsmith today and I'll give you £20 million today. So you'll easily get the iClass shares. That's how much business they deal with them on a daily basis. Do they charge a fee for that? The execution uh, stockbrokers? Yes, they do. Um, but it's just, but it, you don't you mustn't confuse that fee with the annual management fee because whoever you use to buy the unit trust from, whether it's directly from the fund manager or the exec, uh, stockbroker, there's always a fee for that, and it's different to the annual management fee, which is just for the management of the unit trust. The difference with many other stockbrokers, particularly the execution only online stockbrokers, is their fee to transact or hold 
hold unit trust in their platform is a lot cheaper than if you went directly to the fund manager and asked them to do it for you. Yeah, so can I give that example then, Phil? Yeah. So let's say one of the one of one of the versions that, that Philip's been talking about there, which is the Blue Whale Accumulation Fund. The annual charges are quoted on the Hargreaves app as we stand today at 0.87%, which as you were saying is part when you look at the the fact sheet, that requires you to be putting ten million in, which as you said, you're not doing. But when you look at the total charges at the back of the information Hargreaves provide, the average annual charge is 1.05%. So therefore, your difference in terms of, to answer Keith's question about fee, is is the difference between the lowest blue whale fee at 0.87% and the Hargreaves charge for being on that platform for that fund, which is 1.05. So as you said earlier on, it was a bit of a rabbit hole, but... But it, but it's you know it's just worth considering that. So you're talking thirteen percent of the total charge is the platform fee, roughly. Yeah, maybe. A bit and what more. you'll also find is the annual management fee from the actual fund. They depending on which you uh, how they're structured, it either comes from the income portion of the fund. So if you paid a dividend, they take your fees for managing the fund out of the dividend first, or they can take it out of capital. So sometimes if you've got an income fund that, and you've got the income units, you started with a £1,000 and slowly over the years, if it doesn't actually grow, it decreases because they keep taking away units to pay for the annual management fee. And that's different to your stockbroker who just takes a certain amount out of your account by selling units. But that's, uh, that's a whole long to try and explain that. I think, I think you're right. So, so I think there are certain platforms – that can get you preferential rates on certain funds because of the way they interact with those funds. Is that is that a fair statement? That's I correct, think yeah. a different way of what you've already said, yeah. yeah. So. But also, if you go to Hargreaves, you can buy an I-class Blue Whale or an R-class Blue Rail. They, because they offer you execution only, so no advice, they will not stop you buying the more expensive version of the same fund. No, so, so you can buy it if you want to, but you... <laughs> There's not an yes. awful lot. So you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. They do try and point you and go, are you sure you don't want this other version? But they won't stop you from buying the most expensive version of the same fund. Well, no, but I think, as you say, it's a good it's a good point. I've done that. I've bought the most expensive version of the fund I wanted without realising because I bought the wrong class of share. So go on. And so we've talked previously on the, on the pod about uh, Mr. Smith's fund. And if you talk about Hargreaves, so Hargreaves, let's say, based on the data we've just looked at, you can get preferential. Terry's not a good example because he doesn't give Hargreaves a special rate. No, but I think that is the example. Sorry, that's what I was trying to allude to, is on the Hargreaves app, it suggests you can get the lowest fee on the Blue Whale fund, which is the institutional price let's yeah. say so when you look at someone some somebody like terry smith and and his equity fund we've talked previously about terry not giving special discounts let's say to stockbrokers platform providers is that simply the fact that when we look at terry's fact sheet and you could be getting 0.96 percent but it's more likely you're going to get 1.06 percent on the t-class no, class. No, can you get that? 
You can't get that. You can, I bought the one I've bought. What I have and I bought when I bought Terry Smith is the I class shares. The the difference that Hargreaves has that makes it different to all the other providers because they are the biggest executioner only manager in the UK. Many funds give them a very special institutional price that no other fund manage, no other stockbroker can get access to. So therefore, Hargreaves are correct. They say you've got the cheap. We offer the cheapest fundsmith share class, and that is right. They offer you the I class because Terry doesn't offer any other classes, high institutional class shares. He offers just one to everyone. Other companies, I can't think of any examples at the minute off the top of my head because it's actually quite difficult to dig up. You'll find that if you buy it from Hargreaves, you get 0.5% off or 0.05% off compared to if you went to Charles Stanley or iWeb because they have a special price for Hargreaves, but only Hargreaves. So what what Hargreaves are saying is not incorrect. They are the cheapest, but everyone else also, most of the other stockbrokers also have access to that same price. So when we look at whether it's the Fundsmith Equity Fund or the Blue Whale fund that you've given examples of there you've got within the different classes you've got accumulation and income what's the difference there in terms of examples of funds that are essentially from what you're saying holding the same you know they're not holding any different stocks within the fund so so what's going on between those types so let's go through these so the next bit yes is the inc the acc but also the dis you don't see that quite as often, but they're all part of the same thing. And they stand for accumulation, income, and distribution. And this has mainly come down to what type of, what do you want to do with the income the fund generates? Because you're owning bonds or shares, they're reasonably going to pay you a coupon interest rate or dividend. Now, lots of different people don't necessarily want their income as income for tax purposes. So for a lot of time, you might want to convert your income from these investments into capital because you've got a 10 grand capital gains allowance, which most people don't use. And, and this is where you can have an accumulation unit, because what this means is any dividend or interest you get is automatically reinvested by the fund. The income and the distribution alternatives, that's where they pay you the interest or the dividend. It's not automatically reinvested. So if you are a small investor and you want to have cost pound averaging over time and dividends reinvested, unit trusts with the accumulation units or the ACC units are a very, very cost effective way of doing dividends reinvested. Also, if you happen to want to make because you've maxed out your income allowance and you want to turn your income into capital, Buy the ACC accumulation units because they're classed as capital then because they don't actually physically pay you money. You just they automatically convert the income into capital to buy new shares for you. So effectively, what you have is income and distribution are the same thing. So INC and DIS are the same thing. And the other one is ACC, which stands for accumulation. So is there not things called hedged as well? Of course, because we've only scratched the surface. Let's go into the next lot. So for shares where they're in other currencies or bonds that are in other currencies, for example, you've got funds that have American stocks, for example, you have not only the opportunity and the risk of the share price going up and down, 
but also the pound dollar exchange rate going up and down, which can affect your investments. Now, not that many, but some of these funds offer a hedged option. Now, this is where the fund manager tries to minimize the impact of currency rate exchange rate movements, effectively to make them neutral over a period of time, so that what you only see is the effect of the stock going up and down in price. And these usually you see these with the words hedged at the end of the fund's name or have the word H. There's not a huge number of funds in the UK that offer these hedged options because hedging is generally more expensive. You pay a higher fee for a hedged fund compared to a non-hedged fund. Okay, so if I don't want to be in a hedged fund in that scenario, can I buy an accumulation fund class I in dollars? Funnily enough, yes, you can. So quite a lot of these fund managers, particularly the big ones like uh, Aberdeen Standard, BlackRock, uh, JP Morgan, UBS, to name a couple off the top of the head, they offer multiple funds in different currencies. So even though you're buying UK companies, the fund automatically works in dollars or euros. Now, historically, those are targeted at European investors, American investors or offshore investors. You often find that those shares are listed more on or managed from Guernsey, Jersey, Liechtenstein, and Dublin. But there are still a fair number of them that are uh, domicile, so reside in London. Uh, but these are t- mainly targeted at non-UK residents but who want to invest via these funds in the UK. So you can have it. So you could buy a UK fund, but the nominal thing is in dollars or euros. Sometimes yen and other currencies, but predominantly it's, uh, it's mainly pounds and dollars and occasionally euros. And they will have the word GB at the end or EU or USD. The ones that don't have anything that look like a currency at the end means they're predominantly always in pounds because they're purely targeted at UK audiences. Okay. And when you buy these then, so you know, most of the time when you buy one of these OICs, you're buying in, if you're a UK investor in British pounds. Pounds. You are then, I guess, because we were chatting about fees earlier on, if you're going to buy in dollars, you're in, invariably then going to incur an exchange rate charge. As, as soon as you sell it or buy it, there's an exchange rate charge. If it pays an income because you've not you bought the income share, the income they pay you, you get exchange rates charges because at least in the UK, most accounts don't allow you to have foreign currency. ISAs and SIPs in the UK definitely do not allow you to have foreign currency directly. So as soon as your dollar comes in, it must automatically be um, converted into pounds. Now, there are stockbrokers and their accounts that will offer them in foreign currencies. They tend to be at the wealth management end where you're investing an awful lot of money with them to before they, it's cost effective to offer those sort of accounts to you. But you can buy them. So even in Hargreaves, in a SIP, you could buy a dollar fund. But as soon as you sell it, you incur and they automatically will transfer it to pounds and you pay uh, an exchange rate fee. Yeah. So you really want to be looking at a platform. If you do want to be playing in currencies, you want to be looking at a platform that will allow you to do that. And there are a few, but they are. But they tend to be expensive because they're. it's not yeah. so much the fees are expensive, but the minimum, should we say, the minimum investment quantities are large. Like bigger than your the, 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 your um, ISA allowance for the year, shall we say, for example. Right. 
Okay, so we so is it worth just giving it a couple of these? Are we talking along the lines of uh, a Saxo Bank? Saxo Bank, and... uh, Lloyd's Bank International, UBS International, most of the offshore banks, or the wealth management arm, City Ma- or City Wealth, um, Standard Charter Wealth Management. Alan Carter, which is uh, Santander's wealth management private bank, they're the sort of people that will do it. But they sort of have a minimum investments like 50,000 to 100,000, sometimes a quarter of a million, right. sometimes so higher. We, so, yeah. So, so I think it's just, it's probably just a point of shopping around there because there's some guys that will offer the yeah. service, but it can be very expensive. It's it can't, it's money. If, you, if they're not generating enough money off you, they will stop offering you these accounts. From my point of view, Certainly, where the UK is concerned, his fund has benefited from fantastic performance in the US, but also a weak British pound. Weak, yes, has further bolstered his performance. And I'm not, I'm not going to say by how much compared to what the US has done, but it's, it's, it has it's had measurable. Influence. You know, you're talking about a difference of, you know, one point seven dollars to the pound versus one point three or less dollars to the pound when we were at our worst worst ebb in the, in the last period. But there's other cases I can give you where I think it was Japan where stock market went up, but the exchange rate against the pound went down. So the net effect was you hardly noticed anything. So it's a two-edged sword. Yeah. But the only good thing is I didn't pay massive fees to end up breaking even. Because I've bought the hedged no. version. Okay, so, so we've gone through, well, let's say a plethora of different funds and fund types and the variations you can buy within those types. So what what do you buy? What are we aiming at here? Well, yeah. So the question you come is, so which one of the, I've decided the fund I want to invest in, which one of the versions of it should I buy? It depends what your investing objectives are. Some people want, actually want the income from it. They're not there about accumulating it. They're in the income part. I want the income from it. So buying income or distribution units is probably what you're after. Others who sit there and go, I've utilized all my income allowance, so but I haven't utilized my capital gains allowance. They probably want to buy accumulation units because that automatically turns any income into capital. When you come to sell it, you haven't got to worry about income. You're only dealing with capital. Another set of people who are so long-term investors, so people who started out early and are investing for a very long time horizon, such as pensions, you also are likely to want accumulation units because you want dividends reinvestment. And if you're buying, if you're only putting in £25 a month, the cheap or hundreds of pounds a month, the cheapest way of getting dividends reinvestment for small investment sizes is accumulation units of unit trusts. Because if you try to do it with investment trusts, the fees are too high because you're too, you're too small. So that's where for quite a lot of people, and for me, when I'm buying, say, Blue Whale, for example, I buy accumulation units because I want the dividends to be reinvested because I'm looking at this for 10 years and it's the cheapest way of doing it on a month-on-month basis. For some other people where the thought of owning foreign shares in another currency and having the currency risk gives them palpitations and a heart attack, they might want to consider hedge units if they exist have to be careful with them they can be very expensive and actually you might find you better if you didn't have them because they're not there's only a few funds that offer them it's not usually a big choice in the uk but they could be there if they're available might be available if you want 
Other ones that can be important there are if you are an international investor, you might be wanting to buy stuff in dollars or on uh, euros instead of pounds um, because you actively want that exposure and you are big enough or your account allows you to have stuff in foreign currencies. But probably the biggest thing it's always worth remembering is check the class of the inve- of the units you're buying. I made a big mistake when I first started out because I bought I selected the fund I wanted to buy, but I bought the most expensive share class option version of it because I didn't understand the difference. This is one of the issues you have with the execution only online stockbrokers is they can't if you advice, they can sort of try to nudge you and go, you don't. So they try not to put you straight away into the most expensive one. But if you go and pick it, they won't stop you buying it. And it's always worth remembering that keeping your annual management fees low is one of the best ways to maximize your return on your investment in the long run. Keeping your fees low is always worth doing. So it's always worth double checking going, am I buying the right class? Also, checking whether your platform allows you to buy the cheapest class. And if they don't, maybe you haven't got the right platform. So they're the big things you want to remember about what type of funds because as I sh- we showed you and if you were picking on there you could suddenly find that you got the one fund but there's six versions of it yeah I, I think that's a good summary Philip I think the the thing that kind of worries me slightly about all of this is as you said execution only platforms where it's assumed you know what you're buying and you know what you're doing and therefore you know you are picking the lowest cost option but it's also worth remembering execution only stockbrokers are very good because they charge because they give you no advice. They're very cheap. And with a bit of education, you can work out what the type, which version of the fund is best for you and not pay an investment advisor to get that because it's not that expensive. So what we're trying to do here is, again, if you're a cynic, you might think the reason why the financial services industry makes it so complicated with all this jargon and all these different types is to bamboozle you into making you go to them and pay, so paying them a large fee to explain it to you and by managing it for you. And one of the best things you can do is, again, keeping your fees low is with a bit of education for yourself, you can work out which fund actually and which of the versions is best for you. And you haven't got to pay someone those fees. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't disagree. I, I, I think perhaps the the elephant in the room for me is, as we've said before, keep your fees low. You know, compounded low fees over time is going to make a massive difference. But if you go back to the example of where you were looking at Funsmith and Blue Whale, you know, if you if, if we just park the different classes, because let's assume we've got a decent platform where we're able to pick the lowest cost class. So that's that's consistent across the two funds. One might be slightly higher than the other, but that's by the by. It's about performance. Correct. So I want to know who's going to make me 15% in a year, who's going to make me 30, who's going to make me five. How do we then look at, you know, across, even, even within the fund then, so let's pick... You know, let's pick Blue Whale or, or or Funsmith between you know the accumulation and the income. Which one do you pick that performs the best? And I know you said it depends on where you know what you want, but let's just say I want performance. I want this thing to deliver maximum performance. I don't care which class it is, and I don't care which version of of, of it is. 
I well, think I can answer that. Accumulation. Go on. So let's just take Fundsmith as an example because they publish on their website all the classes of shares, what their annual management fee is, and what the current share price is. Now, Fundsmith has been operating for over 10 years now, I believe, if I've got it right. And therefore, you can look at the current price difference because if I remember correctly, all of their classes when they first issued, when they first started, had a start price of 100 pence from memory. So when you're looking at, say, the ICE class shares today, so if you look at the I-Class income shares, their current price is 581p.12. If you look at the accumulation I-Class shares, they are currently at 643.14 pence. So as you can see, there's already quite a difference, just, and that's just down to dividends reinvested because their annual management fee is exactly the same. Now, if I went and looked and compared the I-Class income share to the I-Class, so the R-Class income share, so the I-Class income share, where the annual management fee was 0.96% a year, their current price is 581.12 pence per, per share. But the R-Class income share, where the annual management fee is 1.56% a year, its price is 574.39 pence per share. So as you can see, there is already a difference there. And that is purely down to management fee because they both pay out the same amount of income, but it's just down to the management fee that's different. So as you can see, there makes a big difference if you pick the wrong class. Well, yeah, I mean, not, you know, I, I, my maths is not brilliant, as you guys know, but you know, if you're turning around and saying the I-class shares on Fundsmith... If they've been running, let's say, nominally 10 years, the difference between, you know, £5.81 and £6.43, that's a 10% variation over those 10 years, which, you know, even I can do that maths. It's a 1% improvement for the accumulation per year. Yeah. Now, when you turn um, around it, and say, on average, historically, shares are making 7%, that's massive. It, isn't it? But it's the compounded, the more longer you're in it. So it's a bigger problem. It's a bigger issue if you're looking at pensions, because that's a 25 year to 30 year investment. But it's the length of time, those small amount of differences make that add up. A bit like we saw when we looked a couple of podcasts ago at inflationary pressures data, where they looked at the difference between RPI and CPI. Yeah, it's only 0.2% difference or 0.1% different each year. But over 20 years, that adds up to a huge difference. And yeah. it's that compounding effect you're seeing here with that small difference over a long period of time. And that's where you make the big savings by picking the right one. It's free money. <laughs> you've just given it away by accident. If you accidentally pick the wrong class of uh, units, you've just given that money away for free. Yeah. And, and I think the difference between Fundsmith and, and Blue Whale at this point, you, you look at the difference in their I-class, Blue Whale's I-class, you know, there's very a very small difference between those two prices. So therefore, you know, we, we're not to get anything like the ten percent in Fundsmith. But then Blue Whale's been running only three years. They, yeah. So they they started operating Blue Whale Fund September two thousand seventeen, and I think the fund started off with about hundred pence per unit. So, like you said, if you were to look at their I class income share, it's currently at two hundred three. 0.04 pence a unit whereas if you look at the r class income unit 
it's 201.31. So it's not a big difference, but that's only because it's been going for about three and four, three to four years. When you stretch it out to 10 years, like Fundsmith, it's going to come out to a similar sort of difference. Yeah, I think that's the benefit of Fundsmith at the moment is that they've got that historical data. Blue Whale is, it's too early to tell. But even if you look at the, the I-class variation between accumulation and income, there's enough of a difference that you could argue that, albeit smaller than Fundsmith, it's going to be less than the percentage point per year, but it's within the book. I think it's two, roughly 2% at the moment. But if you turn around over running three years, over 10 years, you're going to be something like less than 1% a year difference. So perhaps not mm-hmm. as stark as Fundsmith, but who knows in 10 years, 10 years time what Blue Whale's going to be doing. But it's just interesting that it's really difficult an early stage fund, let's say, because three years is still early, early stage, to dig out the difference. Whereas Fundsmith, because of its 10-plus year operation, you've got some discernible difference there. Yes. Okay. So I, I'm not sure we totally decided on which one was the best to buy, did we? Well, you can't because it always depends on what your investing objective is. It's not the same as mine. Yours inf- investing objectives was not the same as mine. Okay, so let's just assume I am purely interested in growth of that unit price of whatever fund we talked about tonight. So you are likely to want then where dividends are totally reinvested, as we saw with the Fundsmith example, the accumulation version where it wraps up and does dividends reinvestment is the highest one. It has the most because it's turned all of its income into growth, into capital growth. Right. What you're saying is I want accumulation units – because I don't happen to have £10 million lying around. I can't just ring Terry or the guys at Blue Whale and say, would you please just take this £10 million off of me? So what I'm doing is going accumulation. Even if you put me on only £25 a month, it will be the best, highest growth option. Because when they give it to you physically as pennies for your income units, it's going to be quite expensive to rebuy them. So by, by them doing it automatically for you is cost effective. When you've got a large investment, say £10,000, it, it's worth maybe considering doing it yourself because the fees then are not that bad. But when you've got a small fund or what you're putting in per month is small, accumulation is the best way to do compounded dividends reinvested for price. Yeah, reasons. no, I, and I agree. And I, th- I think it's probably worth saying that, you know, you can go to a stockbroker, a platform, as we've talked about it. So you can therefore buy lots of different funds from lots of different people. You can go direct to the likes of Blue Whale or Fundsmith or whoever else generally and set up ISAs with those, with those guys if you're in the UK. But generally we're focused on retail investment and therefore for us mere mortals, we're not going to have anything that's got an, an M in front of it. So we have to go and pick the lowest cost version and the best class that we can get. And if you can get I-class as a retail investor, I think what you're, you've been saying is that's probably your best option. Yes, almost always your best option. There's very, very few cases. And then it's basically because you're a Hargreaves, your platform is Hargreaves Lansdowne and they can give you an even slightly better version, but only because you're buying it through Hargreaves. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I think that's a really good a really good way to wrap up actually. So I'll just say thank you to Philip and Keith and we'll see you next time. This program has been presented for information and educational purposes only. 
None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.